So uh, Sam Knight is out in Arizona right now covering the memorial services for John McCain. He's on with us from the tarmac where McCain is to be flown back to Washington. Is that correct, Sam? That is correct, Sam Sachs. The jet carrying McCain is set to take off at any moment. And here it goes. Oh, God. It appears the plane has crashed, Sam. What? My God. Oh, no. This is awful. I guess that makes it a lifetime six. Back to you. Phew. And counting. Someone will need to fly that dang casket back to D.C. More news at 11. What's up, Sentinel subscribers? This is That Sentinel Cast, number 78. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the internate is not a worker studios in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. On the show today, we've got a dang congressperson. Well, almost a congressperson. A soon-to-be congressperson. Michigan's Rashida Tlaib joins us to talk whether or not it's time to nationalize the oil companies in order to fight climate change. Then a warrior gets his final resting place. (laughs) It's this week's garbage can. Yes, yes. We're going to get to all that. Uh, Note to our subscribers, everyone out there, naming rights for the studio are up for grabs if you feel like upping your subscription. 200 bucks a month, you get to name the studio. Name the dang studio. Thanks to uh, our previous sponsor of the studio name, who decided to name it Internate is Not a Worker. Who knows what will be named next week? It is Internate is Not a Worker throughout the end of the week, though. Of next week? Yeah. Okay, so yes. You have have through next week to pledge to, to secure a spot for after next week. For a month. But yeah, get those pledges in. It's a get, it's get a hot commodity. Pledges in. Okay. Before we get to our interview with Rashida Talib, it's time to met out some justice. It's time for guilty or innocent. Court is in session. First on the docket, the Pope. Guilty. Guilty. As I was saying to Sam, everyone's guilty. All the hierarchy in the church, they're all tainted. There can't be a pope until, like, everybody's died off, and then you can have new elections in, like, 50 years. I think it's good the pope is uh, thinks that capitalism is not good, but it's a pretty low bar. Yeah, yeah. Pope, guilty. Uh, the guy who shot down John McCain. Innocent. Innocent. I thought we are war hero. Yeah, we are innocent. Innocent. 100% innocent. Olivia Nuzzi. Guilty. (laughs) 
Olivia Newsy guilty. Guilty as hell. Guilty. Not not only defending John McCain's honor, but wringing her hands about people making John McCain jokes. Yeah. As if she wasn't fucking kissing the ass of Nazis. Literal fucking Nazis. Helping them uh, tweak their public image. No wonder she's upset about John McCain. The, uh, the, the, the right-wing public image. Uh, yes. Anyway. Olivia Nazi, guilty. Andrew Gillum. Innocent. Innocent. Why not? Why not? Innocent. Saying all the right things right now. Texas GOP. I'm going to say guilty for a very specific reason. What's that? Making Beto O'Rourke look cool. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, guilty, guilty. Uh, which brings us to teenage Beto O'Rourke. Innocent. Innocent. He could get it. Definitely could get it. Uh, next on the docket, Google. I know the resistance libs want to make Google our president somehow because uh, Trump says it's bad. But no, Google is bad. It is guilty. Google, guilty. Finally, on the docket, corn. Corn? Tasty summer treat. With a C. Yeah, it's it's a good summer treat. I know corn is uh, controversial because the corn industry uh, yeah. creates corn syrup, and that's but bad. Some good fresh corn, husk corn, put it on the grill for summer. Boil it up Boil too. It. That good. water corn, you like that water corn? I do like that water corn. corn? Corn, innocent, innocent. All right, let's get on with the interview. Rashida Tlaib became another member of DSA to win a primary when she won the right to represent the Democratic Party in Michigan's 13th Congressional District, John Conyers' former district. She's expected to win in November. Republicans aren't even putting up a challenger. Tlaib joined us for an interview earlier this week, and with confusion around whether she's a congresswoman-elect or not, she asked us to call her Rashida, as you'll hear, We started by bringing up her support for a one-state solution for Palestine and Israel. We asked if she's experienced any pushback from fellow Democrats considering the party's current rejection of equal rights for Palestinians. No, no pushback. And there hasn't been a full discussion, obviously. And I don't think this is like the number one issue that comes up within the Democratic caucus. I mean, the members of Congress that I have been in contact with this is not something that is an issue. It's primarily, you know, focused on how do we um, make sure that we turn out people in our individual congressional um, uh, races, you know, making sure that people are, you know, having access to the voting uh, booth and uh, making sure everybody's vote is counted. And so we, I've been primarily as an attorney trying to play a more of a role of making sure that there's not voter suppression uh, around the country. And uh, so that's been primarily our focus is making sure in November there's not a lot of pushback by um, um, or any kind of abuses by uh, various right wing organizations and trying to block people from voting. I imagine that's probably uh, more of a problem in Michigan with a guy like Rick Snyder as governor. Yeah, I think possibly. But I mean, I can tell you. In Detroit, especially, we've had some issues in regards to lights coming off in the middle, like the electricity went in, went out, a couple of polling locations, a uh, number of ballots not being able to be counted. Uh, so this is happening, I think, all over. And I look, I think some people, it is intentional, but it's also, um, to be honest, incompetence. Uh, 
lack of organization on a number of city clerks throughout my district, especially. And so I've been really focused on trying to make sure that in November, uh, when people are coming out to vote for, you know, Gretchen Whitmer and a number of other really great um, progressive women and uh, Democrats, that they are going to be counted, that those votes are going to be counted. So I'm really focused on that. And again, we, we haven't really been talking about specific issues, uh, and, and complex ones, especially when, uh, you know, the biggest issue right now is access to the voting booth. On foreign policy, uh, more generally, there are already laws, at least on paper, preventing the U.S. from supporting human rights abusers, the so-called Leahy laws. What do you think Congress should be doing differently? We do something that's, I think, is a practice that I think we should use in, in not only in foreign aid, but other areas where, you know, we don't provide federal aid or grants to states that would, you know, promote segregation and inequality and discrimination. So we should be doing the same thing uh, regarding any aid that American taxpayers provide any country, any entity, including private companies uh, is the is you know trying to promote those values and trying to support those values and I again we do it to states uh, throughout the country uh, we hold back any funding if they don't um, abide by the Constitution and abide by various acts that we, we we pass to you know support integration support equality support uh, people being able to be free of discrimination. On the issue of uh, uh, of foreign aid and back again to Israel Palestine, and then we'll then we'll move on to something else. But I know that there are a lot of uh, law enforcement agencies in the U.S. Uh, that have exchanges with Israeli law enforcement, and uh, some activists have argued that these should probably be prohibited because Israeli law enforcement uh, discrimination is encoded into how they do things. Do you think you might be able to get support from from some House Democrats on, on that issue, maybe trying to push back against against these exchanges? Yeah, I think for me, as uh, a child uh, raised in a Palestinian immigrant household and still having family in the West Bank, my hope is that I'm able to humanize this this issue. I even think that my African-American neighbors here in the 13th Congressional District are still struggling to humanize what police brutality really means to them and their family members. And so for, for my role in trying to push back and, and, and showing people what the impact, the human cost and impact it is uh, to allow militarization uh, police force and what you know inequality and injustice really looks like. And so my personal stories of my grandfather, my grandmother, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, all experiencing uh, is something that I'm going to bring to the table. And I want to do the same thing in trying to uplift my African-American members of Congress who want to show, you know, what it means to be African-American in our own country here uh, with, you know, the increase of police brutality and discrimination. So that's my, you know, hope. And that's something that I bring that's a different lens to this issue that is extremely complex. 
Well, I've been watching the Sasha Baron Cohen show on Showtime, and it looks like the uh, Israeli police training uh, has fooled a lot of people. I don't know if we should cut it off just yet. Um, moving on to something serious here, Rurushita, climate change. Uh, this has been an, an important issue for you. Uh, you were involved in taking yes. on the Cokes when you were in the Michigan State Legislature. Um, you're going to go uh, to Congress and be a uh, part of federal legislation when it comes to, to climate change. This is pretty dire. And I'm curious, as a, a member of DSA yourself, Democratic Socialists of America, uh, we are uh, as well. How do you view the current efforts underway to tackle climate change within the framework of capitalism in the, uh, in the sense that we have oil companies that are hell bent on pulling the last couple trillion dollars fossil fuels out of the ground, regardless of how hot uh, the planet is getting. Can we really address this challenge in the in in the capitalist context that we live in? Or do we have to really strike at the root of our economy before we can really tackle the the increasingly hot planet? Yeah, no, change is coming. I think the lens that myself and a number of uh, progressives that are coming, you know, I, I hate these labels, but, you know, whatever we are, we, we're, we're different. We're not, you know, half of our colleagues are millionaires in Congress right now. I think a lot of Americans don't understand that. I mean, the, the fact is the majority of members of Congress are in an income bracket that is not uh, the, the majority of American family, what we live in. And so a lot of us come from a different perspective and a different lens. And I'll tell you, I, I don't have the answer completely on this. What I can tell you what it is that it angers me. You know, my backyard is completely industrialized in Detroit and watching, you know, our Democratic Party and, and leadership uh, say that we're going to go ahead and, and, you know, take in fossil fuel, you know, money uh, is hypocritical. Uh, action speaks so much louder than words. And you can say you support something, but then if you're taking money from the entity that is fighting back against you for, you know, really trying to address the the really dangerous, I mean, this is such a huge issue, climate change. Uh, I remember teaching my um, my mother about like the importance of recycling and why we should recycle. Cause you know, in school they brainwashed you kind of doing that. My 13 year old knows more about climate change, uh, than anyone else. It's coming. Uh, this is something that, uh, this generation that I see, uh, coming from my nieces and nephews that are in their teens now, uh, it, it is coming. I don't know what it's going to look like, but what I can tell you is I'm so tired of, uh, Democrats, Republicans, others that say they support something, but then they take money from the same entities that are opposed to it. So how, how do you but how do you address it without doing something like nationalizing oil companies and ensuring that they can't keep pulling uh, stuff out of the ground and poisoning our atmosphere? I mean, is capital? Well, maybe is, maybe that is the answer. But I, I you know, I don't want to answer those questions without right. really. Yeah. And, and And that's, again, you know, boxing me in before I get in to Congress. And it's not because it's controversial. I, I actually don't shy away from issues issues like that. I can just tell you, uh, it, it, you know, with leadership and with people and what, what I've read is it's really um, moving towards that kind of direction of, you know, putting the mirror up and saying, is, is it nationalizing? Is it is it going to be, uh, is that the, the, the direction we need to go in? Or, is this something completely separate? I mean, I can tell you for me in, in our backyard here, uh, it's, it is so 
important to understand the public health toll, what all of this really means, and why I think we have so much work to do on the ground uh, to increase the movement work around it, the education that needs to happen, where people don't fully really understand what it means to, uh, you know, the, to increase the kind of output. I mean, I have tar sands being processed from Canada, the dirtiest crude oil you can ever have, right, literally a few miles away from me. And, mm-hmm. you know, the water, the amount of water being used to process it, and then they dump it on the riverfront with these big ships to come by, you know, at least I got them off the riverfront. But now all, all I keep thinking about is where do they pile them up? Where do they put them? And again, we're not talking about those processes and that I think by letting people know, yeah, this is this is the oil machine that is in our country. This is the Koch brothers. I mean, this is this is what we need to be pushing up against. And I, you know, I know having petroleum coke dumped on the riverfront really enlightened many of my not only labor organizations, some others that, you know, have been fighting against us. I mean, you know, progressives like me that are all about, you know, we have a right to breathe clean air and we need to push back on this. You know, they're now, you know, these are people that are like, well, we need the jobs, Rashida. And I said, well, jobs can't fix cancer. They can't fix our environment. And so people, the members, not leadership as much, but members of a lot of these labor organizations that have been promoting uh, increase of coal and, and all that stuff, um, are now kind of, I think at a passing that I, I think it's changing. And so I don't want to be out there about this. I just know that I'm really hopeful that something's going to change. I don't know what it's going to look like and it may be, you know, nationalizing. I don't know. It's funny because the, uh, the, the DNC going back on the fossil fuel donations yeah, exactly. that, that came, uh, they said it came in response to Janice, the Supreme Court decision that harmed unions. And uh-huh. uh, I, it, I'd never seen the DNC spring into emergency action for unions before that. Yeah. Sorry, I did. <laughs> Something more specific that you, uh, I, I can appreciate how legislation is, uh, you don't really know exactly what you're going to do going into it. Maybe something more specific you've been thinking of is how... You might use subpoena power if the Democrats win the House in November. And uh, you know, I don't want to jinx it or anything per se. But have 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 you given thoughts to what you would like to use that subpoena power for? I, I don't know. I mean, I I've been telling families in the 13 congressional district, you know, I, I, in the forums, I said I've been having these kind of community conversations, and I said, how many of you seen Law and Order? You know, and everybody raises their hand. And I said, you know how the first part of law and order is the crime and the arrest, you know, the police force. Right. And then you have the second half of the show is the prosecution, the accountability, the fact finding. I'm really good at the second half of law and order. And uh, I, I hope to use that power to do the fact finding, to send that information to the Senate that can impeach this president. Uh, we all know, I mean, you know, some People are like, well, you got it specifically. I said, what? how much specifics do you need that he lied to the American people? He did not follow the law. Well, it may or may not have been illegal. I mean, this is the kind of precedent of like, this is the most powerful person. And it's true. This, this position is one of the most powerful in the world. And for me, I just think that it is 
you know, so critical for us to have transparency and, you know, no offense to media outlets, but all you hear is theories and philosophy and questions after questions, which create more anxiety for the American people. It creates so much fear of what is actually happening. Who's at the, at the, 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 you know, driving (laughs) the country. And right now it's somebody that doesn't believe in following the law. And I, I hope to use that subpoena power to, to expose that. Yeah, we uh, we've often railed on the show how it seems like the the Russia gate narrative has been lost and there's just a lot of hysteria around it. And yet behind all that or next to all that, there are clear crimes that it seems like the president has committed. We had the uh, federal court ruling recently that he's been in violation of the emoluments clause since of the Constitution since he took office with the arrangement with his hotel. We have uh, Michael Cohen basically saying that Trump uh, was was on board with uh, committing massive campaign finance violations. So it seems like the stuff's already there to impeach. I know Democratic leadership has been a little bit hesitant to talk about impeachment, maybe believing that it's not the best uh, political message heading into November. Where do you weigh on in on that when it comes to balancing talking about things like healthcare, care, uh, uh, climate change, and also talking about, hey, elect Democrats and we'll get rid of this president? Well, I, you know, my message has always been we all deserve to live in a just and equitable society. And that is, you know, so many issues come to mind with that inequity and in education funding and so many things uh, that I want to work on. But I, I don't think talking about one or the other, you know, you have to choose. You know, me talking about Justice for All Civil Rights Act that I'm going to introduce, one of my first pieces of legislation, and also talking about making sure that we hold every single person. Uh, that is in a position, an elected position, accountable to the same laws we all are accountable to. I, I think it goes hand in hand. You know, I find that a lot of uh, people in leadership think that they have to choose. And I, I don't think that's true. I think that you have to talk about both because for you to be able to support something like, you know, promoting equality and promoting justice for all, I don't think you can do that without talking about uh, the president of the United States. Yeah, or without talking about uh, Wall Street. And we had uh, our Attorney General Eric Holder, who might run for president, who once said the banks were too big to jail. So uh, one last question. Any thoughts uh, as to what sort of committee assignments you'd like to get? Yeah, I've been having conversations, but I, I don't know. I have some some in mind, but I, I you know, I, I like to make decisions collectively with my team. <laughs> and so I have some thoughts and I would I hope to sit down with my team. And these are like social justice advocates. These are people that know the 13th congressional district like the back of their hands. They are my eyes and ears, my mentors, my partners. And I like to make decisions in a collective manner, not just what I hope for, but what is the best decision that truly is going to elevate the voices of the families in the 13th congressional district. We often, our uh, tagline on this show, since we record out of Washington, D.C., is in D.C., so you don't have to be. Uh, I'm curious, Rashida, what uh, if you have any anxieties or what makes you most nervous about spending so much time in Washington starting uh, next year? Well, I tell my families and in in, in people in the 13th congressional district you know, I have all kinds of different types, ages, you name it, income clad, all that. And and I said, you know, have be optimistic that I do hate it a little bit. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think, 
you know, uh, not uh, truly embracing uh, all that is supposed to be wonderful about uh, working there. Um, I, 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 but I, 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 people smile when I say that. And so just know that there, there is obviously this, uh, you know, I got to go work uh, in an environment that, you know, for many people can be, become very toxic. Um, and I'm going to try to do my best to focus on the district, to do everything possible to make sure that they have a seat at the table. And that means me showing up, me voting the right way, uh, me making sure that they um, have the resources they need now. And, you know, that's why the neighborhood service centers are going to be so critically important to keep me rooted in the community and rooted in service because, you know, I don't want them waiting for me to pay pass Medicare for all to get quality healthcare. I don't want them waiting for me to increase minimum wage for them to have access to a good quality job. I want to be able to try to do that now because these are years I can't get back for my families. Well, Rashida, there are, believe it or not, some pretty cool parts of Washington, but many fellow Washingtonians like me will not forgive a Detroit Red Wings fan. <laughs> We're still bitter about the 98 Stanley Cup, even oh. though uh, we just won. Sorry, bad hockey joke. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And, and when you're back and when you're in D.C. And, and settled, we'll have to do this again, and we'll tell you about all the uh, bars and restaurants to avoid here in um, Washington. Good. The, the, the bad news, look, I think a lot of people think I'm going to, like, drink start drinking I, I don't drink and everybody's like everybody's convinced that that is going to change i highly doubt it uh but uh, i still love uh bar food uh like anybody else so um, i look forward to to getting your recommendations cool great well yeah. weed's legal here too <laughs> thanks rashida thank you so much take care Welcome back to the Sentinel cast. The two Sams still here in Washington, D.C. in the Sentinel Fort. We've reached the end of the week. It's time very time for a very special, very special edition of the Garbage Can. Interns, bring in the Garbage Can. Garbage candidate number one, Ron DeSantis. The GOP nominee in the Florida gubernatorial race kicked things off this week by showing just how racist the GOP can be. DeSantis appeared on Fox News and warned Florida voters not to, quote, monkey this up by voting for his opponent, Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum, who happens to be African-American. DeSantis claims he wasn't being racist, that it's a common term, but this is the same guy who ran a campaign ad featuring his son building a wall in homage to President Trump's pledge to build the wall. Trump is a racist, and if you're trying to emulate him or get your son to emulate him, you're a racist too, especially when you're openly saying racist stuff like Ron DeSantis is. Ron DeSantis, that's why you're nominated for the Garbage Can this week. Garbage candidate number two, Chuck Schumer. This week, the Senate expedited the approval of seven, count them, seven Trump judges... Any one Democrat could have stopped this, including Bernie. But the fact that none did means that Chuck Schumer really wanted this to happen. 
Schumer's supporters will argue, buh, who cares? They were going to be appointed anyway. Well, think of the damage that Antonin Scalia could have done if he succumbed to a plate of mushroom risotto weeks later. Schumer is giving these judges and Mitch McConnell more time. And yet again, we're giving the Democratic leader the garbage can nomination. Garbage candidate number three, Louis C.K., the mediocre stand-up comedian who was accused of sexual misconduct by at least five women for doing shit like exposing himself and masturbating in front of them, decided to make an unannounced appearance at a comedy club this week. Probably best for the guy who has busted surprising women with jerk-off sessions to not make a surprise comeback appearance to comedy. In fact, just no more surprises anymore. No surprising anyone, Louis C.K. <laughs> I didn't really care about this guy before he turned out to be a perv, so I really don't care if he ever does stand-up comedy again. I just know that Louis C.K. needs to disappear for more than a few months and needs to show that he's fucking learned something. Sometime in the garbage can might do him some good. Garbage candidate number four, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No one at this show expects actual left-wing politicians to make the kind of jokes that we've been making about John McCain. No. Mercilessly taunting Jake Tapper, comparing McCain's pilot record to the 9-11 hijackers. Did we do that? Urging, C-span, urging C-SPAN to attach a GoPro to his coffin. Okay, yeah, we do that. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went out of her way to whitewash McCain's record. On Twitter, AOC said, quote, John McCain's legacy represents an unparalleled example of human decency in American service. Incorrect. John McCain's legacy represents an unparalleled, never-ending stream of bombs dropping from U.S. jets onto civilian areas. This shouldn't be a complicated issue. Say my thoughts are with his family or just say nothing. She went for the ahistorical option. We've got no choice. We're nominating AOC for the can. Garbage. By the way, McCain civility, the guy who allegedly called his wife the C word. Yeah. The guy who used uh, slurs against the Vietnamese in like what? Last decade. Really bad tweet, AOC. Garbage candidate number five, Betsy DeVos, our yacht collecting secretary of education, thinks it's a good idea to allow schools to use federal funding to purchase weapons stockpiles. It was reported this week that DeVos is considering allowing states to use funding under student support and academic enrichment grants to arm teachers. The $1 billion student support program has never, obviously, in the past been used to buy weapons. Sorry, kids, we need to cut back on books and education materials this year. But hey, check out this cool new gun they're letting me carry. Think of some of your weirdest school teachers growing up. Now think of them with a gun in their classroom. It's a bad idea. DeVos needs to be thrown in the garbage can for even considering it. Maybe think of those bad teachers, Maoist students, overrunning them Mm. and taking the guns. (laughs) Comrade Betsy, salute. Finally... (laughs) Garbage candidate number six, John McCain. McCain entered the private sector, that is the worm food market, and people won't stop talking about what a hero he was. He wasn't. McCain never met a U.S. imperial war he didn't like, from Vietnam, which he built his career on, to the 2003 invasion of Iraq. McCain also befriended numerous human rights abusers, despite his reputation in the cable news media from South Vietnam to apartheid South Africa, from Honduras to Saudi Arabia, John McCain spent his time on this earth spreading violence to protect U.S. corporate interests. He was a thoroughly rotten human being, and quite frankly, he's starting to smell. I think we might have to throw John McCain in the garbage can one last time. Okay, look, the truth is Chuck Schumer won the poll. Chuck Schumer 
always fucking wins the garbage can polls. But I'm feeling a little sad thinking that we'll never be able to throw John McCain in the garbage can again. That this might have been our last shot. Maybe it's time to finally give this veteran (laughs) the valor he deserves. I think we need to take some executive action. I think we need to do something we've never done before. Interns, bring in the garbage coffin. We've gone from garbage can interns to pallbearers. They've grown up so quickly. John McCain, you are going in the garbage coffin. And you're going to be in there for a long time, buddy. Uh, Anchors away, sailor. That is the show. We're back Tuesday with the revamped newscast. For our subscribers, tune in at 4 p.m. Eastern time for the live stream. Thank you to our other sponsors, the Congressional Dish podcast hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. Also, thank you to levelnews.org. We're in D.C., so you don't have to be.